And good morning, Hoosier Nation, and welcome to another edition of Hoosier Morning After. This is Hoosier Morning After, an amazing offseason. This morning, we are going to look back at all the major events that happened in the offseason. And after a lot of tough post-game shows here on Hoosier Morning After, a look back at some mostly positives is uh, kind of a really nice show to have. And believe it or not, with the basketball season closer than, than you think, we're just under a month away from the first tip. Uh, you may notice that the show looks a little bit different and that I'm not alone. This is a bit of a test show, bringing others in so that during the season, you don't have to just listen to me ramble on. I've got a few people that I'll be bringing in from time to time for post-game shows. So at the expense of uh, not rambling anymore, uh, let's get into uh, our guests who we have. So for the first uh, guest, I tried, I have to admit, I tried to get Mark Cuban on. I emailed him asking to come on, and I actually got a reply. He said, all my attention is on the Mavs. I root for, I root hard for IU, but don't know anything about the class at all. Well, since I didn't get that guy who's attached to the media center, I got this guy who's attached to the media center, Galen Clavio. Uh, you guys might know him from all this stuff with Crimson Cast or his uh, barbecue how-tos or even his rants about tailgating chips decorum. Uh, Galen, thanks for coming on. Uh, uh, how you doing? Just uh, before we get into the past, uh, I want to just kind of get your, your temperature on how you're feeling about the Hoosier basketball team right now. Hi, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Uh, I feel okay right now. It's nice. I, I will say I'm not as juiced as everybody else is, but it's not because I don't think that the team could be good. I've just, I need to see something first to get really fired up. And, and I think that may be a healthy place for everybody to be emotionally right now, at least for me. Uh, but I look, I, I think it's been a good off season overall, and I'm excited to see what this team does on the floor this year. Yeah, it's going to be very exciting to see. And I, I, I'm i where you are. I'm, I'm trying to stave back. Uh, and, and there's been a lot of talk recently, a lot of people, expectations. Uh, you need to kind of change that with optimism, I, I think. That's kind of where, where I stand. Don't, don't expect things. Just be uh, optimistic. Change those words in your mind. Change those emotions. Shift those around and everything. For me, it was extra hard being in the Bahamas and everything. And we'll kind of delve into talking about that. But so going back, obviously, the very first uh, kind of timestamp thing uh, where we would bring this back to is the very final game uh, that happened on March 11th of 2021. IU lost to Rutgers uh, 61 to 50. Uh, the game was played up in Indy. Uh, there were boos, there were chants uh, for Fire Archie, everything like that. Obviously, we didn't get we didn't get fans in there much at all during games, and then this was kind of the first time the fans were in there. Um, just, just what were your reactions to that, the end of the season, and then and then how fans were reacting to that? Where where were you in that in that space and time? Well, you know, it wasn't just the last game; it was the fact that the last game was the last of a six-game losing streak to close the season, and I just honestly kind of felt like I was in the same spot that I'd been in the previous few seasons, and and really being honest, like even going back further than that. Yeah, not every season was ending in losing streaks like that, but it just kind of felt like, gosh, here we are again, and IU is clearly a tier below even the marginal teams that are making into the NCAA tournament. You know, it wasn't just that you lost to Rutgers. It was that, you know, you lost to Rutgers, and Rutgers went on and got a 10 seed and won a game in the NCAA tournament. And it 
you know, the, the feeling from my perspective was this is really feeling like a dead end at this place as far as this program is concerned. And I was, you know, the booze that occurred, I'm, I don't get too wound up about things that crowds do. Crowds do strange things, you know, things that maybe we would regret as individuals, but there's a kind of a power of collective action. You know, it's like there was something happened in one of the college football games yesterday where, you know, Penn State players kept getting injured and Iowa players or Iowa fans kept getting angry because it was stopping the flow of the offense. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of felt the same then as I did with IU fans booing Archie. That was the first time that IU fans had really had a chance to see that team in person at all. And it's a, it's still a passionate fan base. It's still a fan base that has expectations. And, you know, you never like to see your coach getting booed on a national stage like that. But I think the, the level of frustration was just so palpable with this fan base at that time period that I wasn't surprised that it happened. And so I didn't think it was going to lead to anything. And I certainly thought, well, here we are. And this is just how it is, but this was a weird year. It was a pandemic year. You know, you, you, you had a shortened schedule. It was a rough set of circumstances for everybody involved. You know, certainly I just thought, well, this is going to look ugly coming out of the season, but there'll be a long off season and everybody will forget about it and we'll start fresh the next year. And we really did, but it was in a different way than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was, I felt like I was always kind of towing that line. I, 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 I was always arguing with myself, honestly. Um, I, I'd sit there and go, oh, gosh, we've got to get rid of Archie. Well, but we had a lot of games that were so close. That was just one thing. We were right on the edge. Well, he hasn't been in a tournament. Well, we were we were right on the edge. We could have been, but then we got in a slump, and uh, this person got injured, or that happened, and um, we need to get rid of him. Well, it's it's a pandemic year, and and athletics are down, and that ten million dollars that's a lot to raise, and, and and get going. And and I was concerned uh, with how that would happen and how that would affect not only basketball, just IU athletics as a whole, because we are really kind of getting into a golden. Uh, era of just IU athletics period. And um, while yes, basketball is the marquee, uh, I don't want to get too caught up on on controlling that at the expense of others and everything. Yeah, I mean, the firing, the, the whole idea of, you know, does Archie stay or go? A lot of it to me came down to this idea of okay, there's a contract in place. It's a pretty sizable buyout. So from a financial perspective, you know, athletic department probably lost $20 million uh, during the pandemic, and that might be conservative. And, you know, a lot of cost-cutting efforts to try to keep from doing what many other schools did where they were cutting sports. And I figured, all things considered, IU Athletics is going to look at this and say, look, financially this doesn't make sense, not just on the – you know, not just the fact that it was a lot of money, but especially in that context, and especially given that it was a pandemic year. And I think in both college football and college basketball, a lot of people went into last season thinking, well, every coach has a get-out-of-jail-free card this year for whatever happens with their programs. And gosh, that just didn't happen at all. I mean, athletic departments and athletic directors basically looked at results as if it was a regular non-pandemic season. And, and so... You know, I don't think Archie gets fired if they if he doesn't have that six game losing streak to close the season. I mean, it's certainly it's certainly possible that it could have still happened, but it, it would have been hard to fire a guy who made the tournament, 
And really, I think all it was going to take was another couple of wins and they might have been in the tournament. So that, you know, from that perspective, the way that everything went down surprised me. I wasn't disappointed. Uh, you know, I think I I was one of the last holdouts on the Archie era. I thought that he he had enough internal ability as a head coach that it was you know going to be hard to just say, look, we're, this obviously isn't working with the guy. And, um, you know, the. They were just, like you mentioned, they were just good enough that they were almost in the tournament for a couple of different occasions there. Um, but hey, look, IU, with a level of decisiveness that we don't normally see out of them, I think historically, when it comes to firing coaches, it, it always felt like they kind of would wait a year too long to do those sorts of things. So that's why I was surprised that it ended up happening this time. Yeah. Well, and then uh, speaking with the money, then Scott, Scott Dolson obviously surprises us and uh, says that he raised the $10 million to buy out his contract to donors. Um, Galen, if you want to go ahead and out yourself here on this podcast, you can say that you were one of the donors. That's that's fine. We'll we'll, we'll let that announcement <laughs> fly on this. But well, um, you're doing great, let me tell you. So, uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that, Galen. Um, but he, he in that announces that he's not going to use a search committee. He's going to do it himself. Uh, Dolson wants someone both that embraces IU's tradition, but also has a vision for the future and a playing style that's attractive to recruits. So that's that's something. Uh, obviously, Scott Dolson was very in touch with the fan base and and was listening to what everyone was saying because uh, he comes out and says that press conference and he just gives. Hoosier Nation traditionalists and futurists a, a big hug and just everyone gets excited from from that kind of speech and um, no search committee obviously you can take that either way um, but just says that he's getting to work and the next time you see him he's he's gonna have a coach for you um, so uh, I, I know that's when Crimson Cast kicked into gear <laughs> and you became a very 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 busy man but um how shocked were you when when scott came out and said he found that money and that the uh the, the firing happened on march 15th that quickly even four days after it after that final game uh what, what was your reaction to all that just kind of coming in well i was a little surprised about them finding the money just because again pandemic and and just the economic situation in general didn't seem like they'd be able to externally raise that level of funding uh not because it wasn't just the money to buy archie out it was also going to be the money to pay the next coach uh you know so it's a pretty significant chunk of change you know the, the timing of everything i was a little bit surprised by i figured if they were going to make a change it was going to be relatively early in the proceedings uh maybe a day or two after the season ended not four days after the season ended but mm -hmm. You know, the fact that they made the change, I think you know, a lot of it was less about finding the money because I think that was likely there already. And I think more of it was about, all right, what direction are we going to go with this? And do we feel like we have a good chance with whoever our top candidates are? And, you know, look, if you've got both of those things, if you've got the finances and you've got the direction that you want to go, then why not at that point? Um, you know, as far as you know, what... What, you know, what my thought process was in terms of, hey, they actually fired Archie. It was more just like, wow, all right, this is a different IU than we'd gotten used to in the previous decade. And that's not a criticism uh, of Fred Glass. I think that Fred Glass 
just tended to work in a slightly different way. But I think Scott Dolson being a new athletic director and just being a guy that's been around IU sports and IU basketball in particular now for almost 40 years is he's a guy that had his own conceptualization of what he wanted in the coach and what he wanted with the program. And I think you're better off as an athletic director if you have the money at your disposal to make the changes you think are necessary to send the program going in your direction. Cause the longer you wait, the more you end up with a situation where somebody else's mess becomes your mess. And so from that perspective, it did make a lot of sense as long as the money was there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I I liked his vibrato that he had. I liked his excitement and and his his dedication to the program was evident. And and uh, it was just kind of then then here we go, here we go. Let's what are we gonna do? Who are we gonna find? And and it it's a tinge of excitement at the beginning. Obviously, uh, you hear different rumors about who I use looking at. Um, the rumor mill begin. I've got a source. He's got a source. So I, I really kind of think looking back now uh when we when we discussed who the next coach was going to be it kind of falls in kind of four categories and uh one would be kind of the up-and-coming coaches uh kind of what archie's hire kind of was you got chris beard uh porter moser uh eric musselman mark few those kind of things that came around uh then you had ex-players people always bring up steve alford (laughs) You always get that Mark uh, Mike Lewis. That was one that I was kind of on the train for. Uh, to be to be honest, Calbert, Dane Five, Woodson was even in the discussion there. Then you had the veterans, Thad Mata, um, uh, John Beeline, uh, Beeline, excuse me, Rick Patino. Those you kind of get questioned about uh, their age and stuff, which is interesting because we kind of married two of them. And then you had the chosen one. Uh, we had <laughs> Brad Stevens and. We got towed around quite a bit on that one. Uh, our emotions up and down. Uh, did we think he was going to be the one? Um, there's rumors that he's doing this. There's rumors that he's doing that. And he actually had to let us down twice uh, in, in comments, which was pretty crazy and shows how how desperate we were for that. Um, I know you did a lot of podcasting uh, during that, talking to different people. Um, where, looking back and, and thinking back to that time, where was your headspace with those different candidates and, and, and was, was maybe your top three or, or who did you think were really the options at that point? I mean, and it's, it's always funny looking back in retrospect because I, I'm not sure that any of my thoughts were necessarily good ones at that stage in terms of like what direction they might go. I, I assumed they were going to take a run at Brad Stevens. I didn't know how realistic that was going to be. Um, you know, and then if they, I mean, I really wanted Thad Mata as the head coach, if he was physically capable of doing it, I thought that was all the different factors involved, whether it was success in the big 10, uh, success overall as a coach, you know, age, if he was physically capable of handling the job, which I think he, he probably was not, um, that would have been the slam dunk hire. And I was confused like there were people that were arguing that that wouldn't have been a good hire. And I'm like, you're, you're nuts. If, if, if that's your thought process, uh, certainly compared to some of the other off, you know, people that were out there. And I think that for most of the hot candidates that were in people's minds, I think there were elements about them that were unattractive, um, you know, from IU's perspective and, you know, whether that was 
you know, questions of recruiting tactics with people like Beard or Musselman or um, whether, I mean, there was with any of these coaching searches, there's a lot of other factors besides the actual coaching that goes into them. As, as much as IU has become a place where you need to have a good culture, uh, you know, around you uh, on a particular type of culture in particular, uh, the, you know, there were some people that were in that mix that, from what I was hearing behind the scenes, probably weren't going to be good matches. Um, I didn't think they were going to go the direction of, of Woodson, but I wasn't surprised when they did because he did, you know, when he rattled off what Scott Dolson said he was looking for, you think back on it, it's like, well, gosh, that actually, he does check all of those boxes. But, you know, I think the, the big issue that I ran into, and I think anybody that was following the search, is it's impossible not to let, the commentary and the thought process of media commentators affect the way that you're thinking of the search and who should or should not be included. And, you know, the IU fans, I think, got rightfully irritated at a lot of national media types, but the national media types are generally looking at this from the standpoint of here's the accepted list of candidates or the accepted list of figures for a job in major college basketball. When you go outside of that orthodoxy, people have a tendency to be very critical, not just because it doesn't match the list that they had, but it also tends to uh, kind of upset the apple cart in the way that we think about college basketball. I mean, the same thing happened when like Juwan Howard got hired at, at Michigan a few years ago, where a guy's just not on the radar, and that's hard for people who cover the sport regularly to really get their heads wrapped around. So, you know, I again, I, I thought Mata would have been a great choice and beyond that, it was, it was I, I trusted Scott Dolson to have an idea of what he wanted for IU basketball. And I don't think I would have given that same level of trust to any of our prior athletic directors. But again, given how long Dolson's been around uh, and, and how much I know that he knows about the culture of Indiana basketball, it, I, was, I was fairly confident that we were going to end up with somebody that was going to work out long term. Uh, I wasn't worried that he was going to go in like a completely different direction from everybody else and pull somebody in that wasn't going to be uh, acceptable for the job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was definitely an emotional roller coaster. You got excited about some things you got excited about not, and then infuriating too. I mean, we we felt all emotions during that time. And, and like you said, with the national media speaking up and really kind of bashing our fan base, base bashing us as fans and saying that we're toxic, saying that uh, no one's going to want that job and everything. Honestly, doubt started to creep in. Uh, a, a little bit, and, and, and I saw on Twitter and stuff like that, and myself as well. I go, oh well, maybe we won't. Maybe we won't get someone that's going to be good. Are we going to? Are we going to doom to take a chance again, like Ar like we did with Archie and everything? And then, uh, as quickly as, even though it was quick, uh, when we finally got the announcement, uh, even though it didn't feel like it was, it was just 13 days after Archie was fired. That's quick. That's quick, but that time felt like it was a, a long time. March 28th, um, Woodson is announced. Uh, and uh, for me, myself, I was actually driving in the car uh, on the way to uh, a, a job that was about three hours away. And I get there and I, I open up my phone and Twitter's just exploded. And I'm immediately trying to delve in and figure out everything and and Mike Woodson and I'm dealing with those emotions and the different announcements that come along with it. 
how did you find out? When did you find out? And then what was your initial reaction? What was your gut initial reaction before you kind of had a chance to step back to it? You know, part of the problem with the pandemic is all the days have run together to the point that I don't even remember where I was when I heard the news. I'm, I'm almost certain I was because uh, I think the news started to break on like a Sunday, if I'm not mistaken, uh, or, or sometime it was sometime over the weekend where we started to see the name float around. And look, I'll be honest, I heard the name and I was at first I thought it was a bad rumor. Um, not not that it was a terrible rumor, but that the, the information was bad because I hadn't heard a whole lot about things going in that direction. Um, but then it became pretty apparent pretty quickly. And then IU came out with something relatively quickly that, that said, yes, this is, this is the person that we're going to hire. And I, I look, I was pretty underwhelmed at first, just from the standpoint of, I was surprised that they were going to go that direction. And I think that, you know, just being perfectly honest, and this is something that I think a lot of, people that were following IU or covering IU media wise, you know, their interpretation was, wow, IU must've struck out on like four or five of its top choices if they had to settle for hiring Mike Woodson. And, you know, that was in part just because, you know, Woodson was talked about the last time the job was open and didn't get the job. And, you know, I, I think, again, I go back to what I said earlier about the frame within which we evaluate the IU coaching search and who's a candidate had really been set. And it was that group of names that you listed at the beginning, you know, it's like, well, could, you know, are they going to pull in Nate Oates or are they going to pull in, um, you know, Chris Beard or somebody like that. And when it's not one of those names that's already in the college game, I think you're naturally going to say, gosh, what happened? Like how, how did they end up down there? But I think as it turns out, you know, talking with people after the fact, this was option number two. And, and this was, this was actually who they targeted and who they had been cultivating and once I heard that, I felt better about it. And then, obviously, as we got into the early stages of the Woodson era, there's some good feelings that pop up. Uh, you know, great first press conference and, you know, that, that first month or so when we find out all these players are going to be coming back and playing. That was, I think, a key element to, to soften, not just soften the blow, but make it feel like, okay, this – was the direction that IU wanted to go and, and we're actually in a good spot here. But it did take a while for me to get to that point. Yeah, yeah. I think I I had that gut reaction as well. I mean, I think it, you start to go, okay, who else did we try? What what, what got us here? And then, and then I'll admit I had uh, the argument that we're still having, that Coach Woodson's still having to deal with. Uh, I had that, oh, he's an NBA guy. How's that going to translate to the college game? And everything, and actually, that leads to another announcement that was pretty quiet um, on that same day. And everything was the announcement of Thad Mata being added in as uh, associate athletic director for basketball. Um, so that quickly made me excited. Honestly, when I when I saw that Thad thing, I was like, okay, here's the perfect. That's the perfect marriage. As as you said, he was your number one choice if his health was in a good place. And here he has a position that he can be involved in college basketball and allow his health, uh, be mindful of his health, I should say, and uh, just be an advisor in that sense. And so thinking of those two, like a two-headed beast was created that day, honestly, uh, for IU basketball. How did you react as well to then hearing Thad was going to be added with him? I mean, I was really intrigued by that. Now, I... 
I've kind of, it's funny, as much attention as initially got paid to that by me and by others, you know, I mean, I, I don't think I quite interpreted what that hire meant. And to some degree, much like you, I, I heard the news and I was like, okay, well, here's someone that can help guide the ship while someone learns the ropes of being a college coach. And I, I still believe that to some degree, but I also think that Mata being involved highlighted a greater ambition for IU basketball on the part of Scott Dolson. And we'll see how it works, but I think it's a really ingenious approach, which is this idea of, you know, IU basketball needs to stop just being treated like a, a door in the hallway of IU sports. And instead it almost needs an administrative structure around it. Uh, you know, the, the business has changed, you know, especially with what we've seen with name, image, and likeness and all of these other things going on with the, the changing model of college athletics to have people in almost executive roles, helping out with the administrative duties and the other things behind the scenes, and, and maybe even a little bit of actual coaching uh, with, with one of the recent NCAA rules. That was smart. And, you know, I think that a, a lot of what we interpreted with the Mata news early, people thought he was being considered for coach. I think this was ultimately what his interest was. It's like, how do I get involved in the game, but in a way where I'm not the lead person, I can just assist with something. Mm -hmm. uh, I can do something behind the scenes. And so, um, you know, th as this whole thing has fleshed out, I, I think that as I go back and look at the sequence of events that happened in March and early April, I say to myself, well, okay, there was definitely a plan of action here. And there was something that Scott Dolson had a vision for and the rest of the athletic department had a vision for. And I don't think anybody knows how it's going to work, but they certainly got the right people, you know, people with a lot of experience, people with a lot of, of demonstrated skill in these roles. And that is exciting. And I think that's the thing I've probably gotten more and more excited about is that there's a, there's a level of, of not just professionalism, but um, oh, sorry, got muted there for a second. Yeah, um, no worries. Uh, that, that I think is helping out quite a bit. And and so I'm, I was excited at the time. I've gotten more excited about those new, that news since that particular moment happened. Yeah. And he's, uh, Thad Mata has, has made no exception to say that he has always loved Indiana. Uh, and even, even there's been rumors that he's wanted to coach Indiana and, Oh my, if that could have been <laughs> during those, tr uh, troubled times, if we had that Mata, where would we be now? Uh, but next, next that kind of came up in the, within the timeline and the, and the scheme of things, um, Kenya Hunter was announced that he was going to stay on as an assistant coach. He was him and Cliff Marshall were kind of, uh, two that kind of stayed on as, as kind of transition guys to kind of keep, keep with the players and everything, which I think obviously was very important because it's it's shown and you've seen that Kenya Hunter is is a very uh, means a lot to all these players and 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 is someone that makes a connection to that and uh, uh, speak on Kenya Hunter st Hunter staying on how 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 did you react to that you, what did you thought you know look Hunter I think is obviously a guy who's he brought a lot of connections with him and has been you know effective in the short time he's been at IU and look I think a level of continuity is always helpful not always needed but definitely helpful particularly in the kind of situation that IU basketball's got where um you know you've you've got players that are attached you know not just to the head coach but 
to some members of the staff. And, you know, one of the fascinating things about Woodson's time at IU so far is him coming in and, and the decisions he decided to make about who was going to stay and who was going to go and what that says, not just about his own conceptualization of basketball at this level, but also kind of just where IU is at this level and, and what kind of program he wants it to be. And, and I think that coming in and, and, and keeping a guy like Kenya Hunter, who's had some demonstrated success on the recruiting trail and getting him to kind of rebuy into things. Cause keep in mind, you know, Hunter had been at UConn, you know, he wasn't an Archie guy per se. He gets brought in. I'm imagining when he sees that Archie's fired, he's just thinking, well, gosh, here we go again. Um, you know, I left something that looks like it's developing into a pretty good thing at UConn to come here. So and hadn't even been here a year. Right. You know, so, you know, I think that it's a, I, I was happy that he stayed. It was more important to me that a guy who knows basketball as well as Mike Woodson does looked at Kenya Hunter and said, this is a person that we need to keep on staff. And, you know, to me, that said a lot about Hunter's ability, uh, you know, because look, I think most coaches in, in these circumstances are just going to say, look, I'm going to bring my own people in and I'm going to set up my assistant room the way I want to, which is essentially, you know, certainly what Archie did when he came in. But, you know, so in this case, I think it's, it, it says a lot that Woodson was impressed enough by Hunter's ability and his connections that he wanted him in that role. And certainly I think it provided some continuity on the recruiting trail that Woodson was going to need because ultimately a lot of this game is just about what players you're bringing in and how they all fit together. And it's been nice to see the fruits of that kind of yield over the course of the spring and the summer and, and even the early fall. So I, I think it was a good decision all the way around. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and, and honestly, we should we should hope we get to hold on to him longer and longer because he may be our first assistant to leave as well. Uh, awesome. a, a head, head, head coach job may come for him very shortly. Uh, then the next uh, coaching kind of thing that happened was April 5th was announced that Dane Fife was coming home. Now, I I. I I was always wanting when when Woodson was hired, then it was obviously who our assistant's going to be. And we were all kind of making our, our dream wish of, of who would come back and everything. And I did want a player kind of from that era. We have a lot that are assistants. Uh, Mike Lewis, who we kind of talked about possibly even coming back as head coach in, in that sense. So I, I wanted kind of him uh, first. Sorry, Dane, if you're listening to this, you do listen to stuff and you'll give me crap for this. But I was looking for Mike. Um at first and then dane was announced and i go yes you know what i like that because uh anyone that's listened to me on this show or or assembly call knows that um i i want that bulldog player that's that's someone that i felt has been missing from uh, an iu team in the past couple of years that that guy that uh if, if you're playing against him the other team can't stand that guy that was dane fife that was Dane Fife to a T. He was he was exactly that player. And to have him as a coach got me excited because that might bring it out of the players and everything. So um, what was your reaction when you heard Dane was, was leaving that uh, wonderful, actually great situation he had at Michigan State and possibly a seat in waiting uh, to come home to Indiana? I mean, look, I, I, I thought it was a, a cool bit of news. And, and I was excited, you know, because I do think that there have been, you know, certain things within IU basketball that have caused the program to feel very distant from the past. And, you know, even having like Mike Roberts on staff, 
while, you know, I mean, I, I like Mike and I knew Mike in grad school, uh, you know, for a lot of IU fans, they remembered the name and a little bit of him playing, but it wasn't like, hey, we've got, you know, a prominent former player uh, on the coaching staff. Um, you know, Fife was, was very different from that regard. Like, here's a guy who was a, a name brand player for IU basketball and has been a coach that you see twice a year on the opposing sidelines, has been part of that great program at Michigan State. So, look, I, I thought it was awesome. And, you know, certainly I like having people from my era uh, you know, finally in in the realm of of coaching, uh, and you don't I, feel you don't feel too aged on that. No, you know I don't. <laughs> I, I, I'll feel aged when people like that were you know students of mine are coaching IU basketball. But I think we're still another decade or so away from that, fortunately. But yeah. uh, no, it's it was neat to see, and I think it was an interesting move for Dane because I don't know what Dane's long term ambitions are. I'm assuming it's to be a head coach at a place like IU or a place like Michigan State. Um, you know, and I think that it was time for him to move to a slightly higher echelon of things. I mean, I don't think he was the coach in waiting at Michigan State or anything like that. And I, I guess to me, it was another bit of validation for the Woodson project and the hire that Dolson have put together. Because I think if, if a guy like Dane Fife, who could kind of have his pick of where to go or where to stay, decided that he wanted to come back and actively be a part of what Woodson was doing, that told me that there was something good going on behind the scenes. Because I don't think that Fife is going to leave Michigan State to go to uh, something that has the potential to turn into a dumpster fire or anything like that. And so that that was good to see. And, you know, look, I mean, a lot of people were also interested in Lewis coming. I, I think that this is where it's probably some smart – construction of the staff if you're Woodson because you don't want to overload the staff with one type of person you want to have a nice variety of coaches with a variety of backgrounds working for you and I think Fife is very helpful as someone who is old enough to be a respected member of the coaching fraternity who's had 20 years of experience under his belt essentially uh, a little less than that and is going to command respect from the players but it is also young enough that, you know, I mean, he's, what, 17, 18 years younger than Woodson is. He can act as a translator for some of the players about what Woodson is asking for and, and you know, try to get it into whatever the, the parlance of the current generation happens to be. So it's, a, you know, good hire, you know, right in the right age bracket, like, you know, 40 to 45, uh, the type of person who's got the institutional memory of IU basketball, like right at the end of the last major era, that you want to have talking to players about trying to start the next major era. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you did a great transition there. Then speaking of youth and, and uh, relating to the players in the young age, then April 14th, we had the final assistant uh, announced. Yasir Roseman was announced. And uh, his youth and everything, obviously that, that checks off that box. We even saw that in Hoosier Hysteria, him coming out doing doing his little strut and everything like that. And the, the players were loving that. And that was tweeted out and liked by recruits and, and, and the like. And the, the caution, though, that came out first off uh, with him, because his name is in some uh, FBI stuff. And uh, did you, how did you react to that when you heard that hire? And did you know of him before or did you do like a lot of us? I mean, like I do as well. I mean, I, I was guilty of this as well. I did not know the name. 
went to Google, started to dig and, and search what I can. And those things came up and you, you kind of have PTSD kind of situation. Uh Oh, all these different allegations and stuff that have come around. Um, did that concern you at all at first maybe? And then did you stave that back or, or what was your thoughts when he was announced? I wasn't really concerned. I mean, I, a lot of people were, some people, I think the concern was masking uh, disappointment that somebody else wasn't named to that assistant role. And so a lot of the, the mock outrage or actual outrage was actually just irritation dressed up as that. <laughs> um, but look, I, I, two things. A, yeah, he was in the, the uh, FBI report, but uh, you know, he was not playing the role of Bruce Pearl in the FBI report. Like, you know, he wasn't Book Richardson or, or the Arizona staff. Like there was there was a definite distinction, I think. Uh, there were tiers of people who you might be concerned about. I didn't really feel like I look, I think a lot of the stuff in the FBI report, we could do a whole podcast about that FBI report. Um the 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 sheer lack of action on that, I mean that that document's kind of become like um, a scarlet letter for a lot of people without a lot of actual action. And uh, so in the world of college basketball, as we know it today, uh, I thought what was in there was relatively mild. And I think the broader point though, for me is that if this was a different coach, different head coach, different athletic director, I might be more concerned, but I just wasn't in this case. And uh, I feel like, there's a there's a pretty solid knowledge about okay within IU circles, there's a certain way that things get done. Um, there's a certain way that you interact at the the highest levels of recruiting, and I think they're hiring people with that idea in mind. And so you, know, you got Mike Woodson, who's got a very particular image of what IU basketball is. You've got Scott Dolson, who's got a very particular image of IU basketball, as they all would have signed off on this hire. Um, I feel like I'm in a position where I can trust those folks to make the right hires. And, you know, no one, no one in major college athletics wants to go out and put themselves in a position where they're going to be needlessly endangered by hiring somebody. And I just, I didn't, I never felt like the fear around Roseman getting hired was necessarily that deserved. So it didn't really, I just didn't really measure with me one way or the other. I thought, okay, this sounds good. This guy sounds like an intriguing young coach. Let's just roll with it and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Well, and then uh, transitioning to another theme uh, with a coach getting fired, obviously what comes from that and an and unusual situation is players are going to enter the portal, especially now with what we had in the COVID year and, and guys getting an exception and being able to play right away, the new new portal rules and everything. And I even had a fair amount of guys in there. Uh, Parker Stewart was in there, uh, Trace Jackson Davis, Christian Lander, Jordan Geronimo, Race Thompson, Armand Franklin, Al Durham, Joey Brunk. Um, so we had a lot of guys in there. Uh, early on, we had a few guys that kind of announced and said that um, I, I'm staying with the program and, and Trey Galloway and Anthony Leal, even before the new coach was announced. Um, Parker Stewart was the first one to kind of announce that he was coming back on March 31st. And it's interesting. I, I, in my mind, Trace Jackson Davis was the first, cause that's kind of the story you think he was the first. And then that kind of waterfalled everyone else. But Parker Stewart was the first one. And, and that date actually lines up with Kenya Hunter, uh, announcing that he was staying on. So right there, that kind of shows that, um, and, and, and 
Kenya Hunter was the one that was instrumental in getting Parker Stewart to come. So um, obviously there's a marriage there. And, and once he knew that Kenya was going to stay there, he was comfortable with staying with the program. But obviously the, the, the marquee situation of, of coming back was Trace Jackson Davis and such a great story behind that too. And, and honestly, I, I felt like this whole process has changed Trace Jackson Davis and that the press conference about him coming back and, and anything he's done after that, he's more open. He's not shielded in the way he's a more honest guy. He's open with himself and everything. And, and he said in, in that story that he sat down with him. He was pretty sold on it. And then, but he wanted to have his parents in his parents came. Uh, they talked to, to coach Woodson and then um, uh, he talked to his dad for a couple minutes and his dad basically just said, yeah, you're staying. So um, that kind of created the waterfall. Christian and Jordan then uh, stay. Race announces that he's going to stay. Um, but then we lose a few. Uh, Armand Franklin heads to Virginia. Al Durham heads to Providence. And Joey Brunk to Ohio State. So talk to me about your impressions about the portal, kids, get, guys getting into it, and then uh, just kind of how all of that fell, fell through. Yeah, I mean, it, it was always going to be interesting to see what the roster looked like. Because, you know, the – the one thing I didn't mention about Archie getting fired was that if, it, if there was one big underlying factor that I thought would keep him from getting fired, it was that the team was relatively young and most of those guys were going to come back. It looked like at least they had eligibility to come back the next year. Now, I don't know how many of them would have actually come back because it certainly seems like the overall psychology of the program was at a pretty low ebb by the end of the season. So you could have seen all those transfers happening anyway. Um, but I, I felt like, well, gosh, this roster is, is pretty complete. And if everybody sticks around, then the good year, the year they get back to the tournament would probably be the next year for Woodson to come in and have a very different style of basketball, which I think we've already seen to some degree uh, in the Bahamas and, and just with the general reports of how they're going to play it's not a guarantee that you're going to have just a like for like where players are going to want to go into that new system. And so I figured there would be some attrition. As you mentioned, I think many of the key players were, you know, I think have, have stuck around and I think that that's a good thing. Um, you know, as far as the guys that left, you know, I mean, it, it's tempting to look at Al Durham leaving as like a guy in the portal leaving, but this is and that this is hard to emphasize enough to people. It's such a weird time from a roster management perspective when everybody gets an extra year that that played last year. You know, you're planning on not having Al Durham, uh, you know, back. You're planning on not having Joey Brunk back, and suddenly it's like, well, they're back, or are they? And, and so I think that there was going to be a lot of movement on that front, regardless. I mean, I guess the one real surprise was. Armand Franklin, but again, I, I think a lot of times, you know, we we try as fans to take every piece and fit them into the puzzle, even if there's only space for like ten pieces. We try to jam all twelve or thirteen pieces in, and even pieces that supposedly are good enough and like should fit in the puzzle, they just don't. And so, look, I I don't know what. The long-term ramifications are Armand Franklin could turn out to be like an you know an All ACC guard or something like that at Virginia down the line, but I don't think there was any question that that particular piece hadn't fit as well uh, at least offensively as we hoped, and uh, you know Franklin might have just been looking at it and saying, 
I, I don't have as much of a guarantee with the style of play that I want here as I would have somewhere else. And so he ends up going somewhere else on that. And I'm fine with that. But I thought overall, like to come out of the off season with a coaching change with the roster as relatively intact as it was, and particularly with the big piece and Trace Jackson Davis coming back, that was another illustration to me of how this experiment's got a really good chance of being successful because there's something about it that players saw even before they stepped on the floor that made them say, I want to be a part of this. And so I'm excited about that because anytime you can get that kind of feeling out there within the first couple of months of you getting hired, I feel like that's going to probably have a good chance of carrying over. Yeah, and well, it, it, once Woodson was was hired, there was obviously that that list of doubts that came out, and I feel like as we went through, we started to check off those the, those doubts, and 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 the one doubts: can he recruit players? And while well, he proved that immediately when he recruited his own players to come back, and then also going into the portal and finding good players, we get we add Miller Cop, we add uh, Xavier Johnson. And uh, we add uh, Michael Durr from from the transfer portal. And then the kind of big win that kind of says the recruiting thing is then we get Tamar Bates um, to kind of shift his commitment. It's kind of a, uh, a freshman, but also kind of a transfer. It's, it's, it's an interesting kind of mix of a uh, of a recruitment with, with him. And uh, those are great pieces. And, and I've always thought that this team, uh, even last year, had the right pieces to possibly succeed. There were just the wrong injuries, uh, the wrong mindset in the sense of Rob uh, to kind of get past a hump. Well, then we add, you add pieces like Miller cop and Xavier Johnson and, and Michael Durr, because how many times last year did we say, if we just had Joey Brunk in there, um, we would have been better. And, and you add Michael Durr, someone that might uh, can fill that void as he leaves. Um, Adding those transfers, uh, what was your reaction when, when, when all that stuff happened? I was just really interested. I mean, it's funny, the butterfly effect. A lot of people wanted Chris Beard as head coach, and not getting Chris Beard as head coach meant we got Tamar Bates, uh, <laughs> ultimately. Because, I mean, it's, it's just like it's funny to me how all of that stuff pieces together sometimes. But, look, I mean, Bates was as good of a recruit as Archie Miller ever pulled in, and even though he doesn't technically count as a recruit um, – I think he does to some degree because it's a different landscape. I mean, I, you know, so much of what we think about with college basketball in particular, what we think about recruiting and pulling players in, it's really out the window at this point. I mean, with, with the portal, with the pandemic, with the, the, you know, the way that players are able to move, you're reselling your program to your players every year, but you're also going out and selling players that aren't there that would be good enough that they might be able to come. And so it's a very it, – I, I said this early on when these transfers started to happen. It's like, you know, Woodson might be the best choice that you could make because here's a guy who's had to deal with NBA free agency. His whole <laughs> career is a head coach. And the idea that you may have a player for a year and then they're gone or you may, you know, essentially have to trade a player for another player and then figure out, you know, not just how to pull those sorts of moves off but also how to fit those players – on the fly into your system. And that is, it's really interesting watching that transpire because I still have no clue how all of these pieces fit together. I, I still have no clue, like who's starting at, at the guard positions. And, you know, we feel confident Trace Jackson Davis is going to be out there, you know, th but the rest of the players, you could throw any lineup out there, uh, you know, picking from about 10 players and I wouldn't be shocked 
Um, you know, so it is, it's hard to get your head wrapped around it. I think from the standpoint that you look at the players that are going to be on the floor for IU and we only know a certain amount about most of them. And, uh, you know, so like we don't know that much about uh, Bates and what he's going to look like or Johnson and what he's going to look like or cop and how he's actually going to play. Um, And so it's a big mystery and I can't really fully answer what I think of the transfer moves until about halfway through the season and really see how these players bake in and, and work with each other. But I like what I see on the, on the cards. You know, I, I like, I like the, the surface level stuff. I like the ingredients. I'm just curious to see what kind of recipe it ends up baking. Yep. Yep. So moving on to that, then we talk about recruiting, recruiting uh, transfers and everything like that. And then we have a recruiting class that's still growing, might have one more, hopefully has one more that's going to be added. We can cross our fingers in that. But uh, CJ Gunn obviously committed to the the previous staff and then uh, says that he's going to stay on. We grab Caleb Banks, a power forward, uh, nationally ranked 82nd uh in uh the national rankings and then for his position 15th and then the big one uh jalen hood shafino uh we get him he's a combo guard he's nationally 20th in his position uh fourth and and that one with these recruits um i i felt like uh, we've kind of reached this point where it's going to be interesting to see I feel like it's going to be a snowball effect. I think late recruits are going to be a, a big factor for him because I, I think they're buying Woodson. They're buying the program. They're just not buying or knowing what's on the court yet. And I feel like that might be holding back some of the bigger recruits from uh, uh, fully committing to IU. And it, it's very interesting, the timing-wise, uh, Hood Shafino announces his not long after the Bahamas. So uh, was that IU showing him some tape from the Bahamas, letting him see how how he's going to play and what the team's going to be on the court? And then that was like, okay, that's enough. That's the tipping point. I'm going to IU. Um, could be. But um, shaping up to be a good class. Hope we, hopefully we can add Noah to that. Um, but your thoughts on the recruiting class so far and then, and then just overall uh, the recruiting job that this, this staff is going to be able to do. I mean, on paper, it's a really good class. And, I, you know, it, <laughs> I, I've become gun shy about going much further than that because, you know, that first Archie class looked really good on paper. And, yeah. man, that did not pan out uh, in a variety of ways. And, you know, look, so much of the issue, I think, in the Archie era and, frankly, in the last several years of the Crean era was pieces that didn't fit well together mm-hmm. or pieces that had trouble executing uh, in in game action in the same way that they executed as individuals on the AAU circuit or at the high school level. And so, look, I think all of the names so far, either the ones that are currently committed or, or are being talked about, do point to IU at least being a bit of a player on the national stage in terms of nabbing four stars and getting guys that are at a high enough base level of athleticism and execution that they'll be able to grow into really good college players. But I also really am of the mindset that, you know, so much of IU's issues on the recruiting trail are just that it's not that special of a program to the average recruit these days. It's, it's certainly whatever advantages IU might've had 20 years ago in terms of people wanting to go there 
because of past glories, that's gone. And I mean, even in the Big Ten, if you're looking at recent success, like you could make a better case for going to Ohio State or Iowa or uh, or places like that. Um, so for IU to pull those sorts of recruits, you have to be able to sell them on a vision at this point because that's all you've got. You start making the tournament consistently. Now you can sell them on vision plus success. And so with what IU and with what Woodson has to deal with right now, I think it's a good class. It's got to be a starting point, though, because ultimately, as much as IU fans, you know, we we fall in love with every pro- player that puts on the uniform for the most part, and we talk ourselves into them being better in many cases than they actually are. We don't tend to look at things objectively. The reality is IU has not had a sufficient number of high-level basketball players over the course of the last several years to compete at the level that the program's ambitions claim to be at. And, you know, the as much as we can criticize Archie in retrospect, the numbers of the recruits were okay there. I mean, they, you know, they could have been better in certain spots, but certainly we've seen programs recruit at that level and have success and Archie didn't. So to me, it's deeper than just the recruits or uh, the, the perceived quality of them. It's also how they fit with each other and how they fit within an overall thing. And so I am, I'm, I'm, I'm excited by what I'm seeing initially, but I'm going to take a wait and see approach until I actually see how they mesh before really being able to say a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, that is, it's, it's, you can be, you could be number one, and then it just doesn't translate. The game doesn't slow down, an injury happens, anything like that. What I do like out of the recruit, recruits that I'm seeing um, is the mindset. That's what you want to look at, and and this this staff has already talked about that. That they you were at a disadvantage last year because they couldn't go see these guys play. You're 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 watching these recruits in the same way that we watch them as fans on these highlights on YouTube and everything like that. And that's all good. I mean, you and I can go play a pickup game at the Y and and put together a fantastic looking recruiting video for for either of us. 90% of that game is not looking good, but uh the 10% that they cut into a video will look really good. Um but this staff has talked about that they go to these and they're, they're watching their interaction on the bench. They're at, they, you, you can see how these players interact with each other and, and, and you get more of a sense. And it sounds like that's something, obviously a lot of coaches are going to look at, but something that's very important to this staff in particular is uh, getting the right guys with the right attitudes and, and guys that are going to mesh well uh, with this team and have that mindset. Because honestly, you can, you can see with this team, their mind space is a lot better. And everyone has uh, bonded in a good way. And that, that, that tone, as you can tell, because a lot, again, a lot of the players are the same ones, is set by the staff. And so the staff has set that and they need to continue to build on it. We've seen that obviously in football as well. And uh, you don't want to get the wrong recruit in that can quickly uh, become toxic and that can spread. So I at least like where they're headed with these guys, uh, where their thoughts are and, um, who we have. So, I mean, mean, look, one thing I'll say on that, I, the big issue with the Archie era, I think ultimately when people are being honest about it is just, there was a psychological weight that seemed to hang over everybody on the roster. And it mostly manifested itself on offense where everybody looked tentative. Everybody looked like they weren't sure what to do, uh, except for trace Jackson Davis, and, you know, look, I mean, that's 
that that will kill your ambition every year if your players aren't feeling like they should be what doing what they're doing. Uh, and and so I, I do like everything you just said. I, I like the change in attitude. I like this whole idea that this team likes to be around one another. Trace Jackson Davis, you know, talked about that before. And if there is a big change in the way this team plays, I think it'll be in part because there's just a different mentality that surrounded the program. And that might be the biggest thing that Mike Woodson ends up bringing to the table on all of this. And that is something you can recruit into is this idea that this is a place that you want to be. It's kind of what Tom Allen's been able to do with football to a large degree, mm-hmm. uh, you know, change not just the internal attitude, but the external attitude about what being an IU football player is like. I think to a large degree, Woodson's already started to do that for IU basketball. Yeah, yeah. Well, and like you said, the tension that that transitions well. Uh, next, we'll kind of talk about the Bahamas. And I was lucky enough to be able to go, and uh, you, you saw a release of that tension. And and what we saw a lot under Archie was um, with Rob as well. A lot of looking at the bench. A lot of looking to Archie uh, to to find out what we need to do. What do we do next? What do you want us to do? And what that breeds is that. What that means, I should say, is if, if you're if you're looking back to your coach on what to do, that means when you did not look at him what to do, you were in trouble. So uh, in the Bahamas, what quickly stemmed that was in the in the first game, there was an out of bounds situation underneath our basket, and Xavier Johnson looked to Woodson as to what play play to call and everything. And you could hear him. I, I wish I knew exactly what he said, but he said something to the degree of, you're the player, you call it, you choose, you do it. So that was an immediate wait because that obviously shows and, and, and what, what Woodson has been uh, preaching is that free offense, that player-driven, you do what you want to do out there and everything. And um, a few takeaways that I had from the Bahamas uh, was that, obviously, we got to see the free-flowing um the leadership is 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 a lot bigger too. Trace Jackson Davis is talking a lot more, and the biggest vocal leader that we're going to see this year is going to be Miller Cop. Miller Cop is very vocal out there, and even in the second game when he was injured, he was sitting on the bench. He was actually sitting behind the bench with his with his foot propped up, and I could still hear him yelling at the guys on on, on the court. So he is engaged in this team, and he's excited to be there, and he's he he's out there committed to them. Um, another one, again, is something that I've been preaching for forever um, this offseason and, and, and last year we saw glimpses is that Jordan Geronimo is going to be a very special player on this on this team. And um, there still has his moments. He's got a motor. He's got he's got excitement. He's still figuring out the game. Um, there was another moment, a coaching moment where he just got a little too fast for his own mind or his own thoughts or what he was doing. And uh, ball flies out of bounds, and Woodson, in his great swagger, uh, cold Medina voice, uh, just hollers out to him, "Relax, relax," and everything like that. So, uh, I, I'm really excited for what he does this year, but also then uh, he may become a major, major piece next year. With obviously a lot of uh, roster changes and everything like that and then additionally um maybe i'll make a poll on twitter and see if people want to weigh in on this one uh talking with tamar bates seeing him out there seeing how exciting he is as a player and everything the alpha that he is the strut that he has 
and he's got a jaw to him. He was jawing to those to those uh, other players. He'd hit a basket and he'd talk to his defender as they were walking back to as he's walking back to get on on defense and everything like that. So an interesting poll I might come out and uh, let me w- have you weigh on this. I was talking to uh, Jeff Rab Johns and um, Eric from Hoosier uh, Hysterics about this, and we kind of made a little prop bet for the year. Um, how many uh, technicals we think Tamar's going to get for taunting? I think we we set the over under at uh, at uh, two point five. So whether you think he's going to get two or or more than two, what, what what do you think? What do you think of that? And then just speak of what you saw or heard uh, uh, in the Bahamas. Well, I, I mean to answer the poll question first, I'll take the over, not because I think that uh, th- that he's necessarily going to be pushing the issue on that, but. Anytime you have a slight rules change or anything where we start emphasizing something, officials go nuts on it because they want to demonstrate that they can call that. And then now it becomes there's like this undercurrent in college sports right now of like, you know, uh, showing these college kids who's boss and like that they're still an authority structure, whether you're an official or a coach or whatever. So, yeah, I'll take the over on that. I mean, look, I. The Bahamas thing is interesting. I was upset I didn't get a chance to go in person, but, you know, but I got a chance to watch some footage. I. I mean, I certainly think that there's enough there that you could look at it and say this team is of a different mindset than they were before. And there are certainly going to be some personalities and and some talent emerging on this roster that just, you know, they haven't been front and center. And to some degree, it's funny. I think that the, the, the last few years, really, you might say the entire Archie era, it felt like we were waiting for somebody to step up and take center stage on the floor rather than just being this expression of what Archie's personality was. And Archie's personality was pretty, pretty boring. It was pretty cardboard. It was like, there wasn't a lot of, uh, there weren't many jagged edges there and there wasn't a lot for fans to grab onto. And so, you know, uh, from a personality perspective, I think having players who a, can play with decisiveness and make their own decisions and aren't constantly looking to the bench for, uh, for resolution, but also players who exhibit personality. I mean, the one guy who was reliable at doing that was Devonte green during Archie's tenure. And that was a pretty combustible situation uh, all told like that. Was, mm-hmm. It was like, well, we, we want to see more of this, but maybe not like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was kind of the mentality. I think a lot of IU fans had. And so, I, I think that the it's I guess it goes back to what I said earlier. It's hard for me to know how that's going to manifest this year and and what from the Bahamas actually translates into what we see in November and December and beyond because it's just it, I I've, I've I've almost become so hypnotized by the lack of distinctiveness by, from IU basketball for the last several years, that it's hard to envision a self-actualized roster, a, a group of people who really just go out and have a solid sense of self as and a, and a solid team identity and who go out and impose their will as opposed to a group that's reacting to what the other teams are doing. And I think that that's – it doesn't mean that you can't win in those circumstances. I mean, IU, you know, they swept Iowa last year and – you know, they, they racked up wins against Michigan State during Archie's tenure. Like, you could beat really good teams like that, but it always felt like IU was, uh, you know, employing countermeasures rather than going out and imposing what they wanted to do. 
And especially offensively, I never really knew what Indiana wanted to do. And I don't think it's going to be one of those things where you snap your fingers and suddenly this is a, a team that looks like a Michigan or looks like a Duke or a North Carolina. Uh, but I do think that they're starting to get down that path once again. And that's going to be the big test for Mike Woodson and the players that are there. You know, can you forge an identity that you can live off of game after game, week after week throughout the course of a season? And so I'm excited about what I've seen to start with, but you know, it's like, I, I do have some concerns and it's like, you know, Miller cop being like the vocal leader and, and a guy that I use going to rely on consistently. I, I think it's cool. I love his presence on social media, but I also, I look at him as a player and I say, you know, as many minutes as he played last year, didn't score very much or didn't score very efficiently. Shall we put it that way? I mean, under one point per possession. Yes. He's playing at Northwestern, which that's like you're paying a tax on your offense uh, you know, <laughs> there. I get that. But as with many other things with this team, I guess maybe I'm guarding my heart slightly and not, not allowing a couple of games in the Bahamas or what people are saying in press conferences to get me overly excited until I actually see it. Once I see it, b- boom, count me in. But I need to kind of get to that point first. Yeah. Well, you, you bring up an interesting thing. Maybe we'll touch on here briefly as well as uh, Miller Cop doing his videos and everything like that. We've obviously had NIL, which is a totally different thing. We'll get on. We could get on that and be on that for forever. But this coaching staff seems to be more available, more open to the media, more honest. Um, he doesn't shy away from it. Archie, you could always tell, just wanted to do the bare minimum and 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 get out of there well this staff is is a lot more active on social media you have dane fife as i said firing back at everyone uh even in his first kind of presser was calling out the media and everything and then um i don't know if it's the coaching staff breeding that mentality or nil coming out we're we're, we're seeing a lot more interaction with the players as well um bahamas happens as well and i i urge anyone that can have the means to uh, try to go to one of these things because you have a lot of access to the players and coaches at these as well and they seem to be more open to talk to fans and and interact um in the different media uh outlets for things um do you think that's nil do you think that's the new staff do you think we're in a good mixture is that just the world we're becoming right now well gosh that has a lot to unpack there so yeah um I think this coaching staff is far more comfortable with the public aspects of being in charge of IU basketball than either of the previous, well, really any of the staffs going back to when Bob Knight was fired. Um, you know, I've, I've often said that being the head coach of being uh, of IU basketball is kind of like being a religious figure. You know, you are essentially the Pope of a, a large diaspora of people who are will buy into you in a heartbeat, but you have to give them something in return. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why Bob Knight was always so successful is that he very well understood that he was a basketball coach and he had no problem putting fans in their place collectively and say, look, I'm coaching the team. I understand what I'm doing. Uh, Even if you don't like the results right now, this is the direction we're going because I know that much about the game. And I've, I've always felt like whether it was Mike Davis um, or Kelvin Sampson, or Tom Crean, or Archie Miller, there was something that held them back from doing that. And I think it's different for everybody. I think Davis is just kind of – he wasn't ready psychologically for that weight. Few are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Sampson was 
ready for it, but also didn't really fully grasp how to harness IU fans and get them behind him. And then, of course, things fell apart very quickly uh, during that process. Crean, I think, actually did a good job at first and then gradually got more and more insulated in his own um, cocoon, I guess. <laughs> and then Archie, I think you kind of summed it up. Like, Archie just wanted to coach basketball. And mm -hmm. you could do that at a place like Dayton where – you win games, you get to the tournament regularly. You're 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 a god there. That's mm -hmm. not enough at IU. Like you, you know, and and especially if the wins aren't there, if you're not getting to the tournament, uh, people are going to take your lack of love for talking to fans and, and interacting with the media as just being aloof, uh, and mm -hmm. that that's the kiss of death in that circumstance. So I think whether it's Woodson or whether it's Dane Fife or whether it's Kenya Hunter. I think these guys are all naturally more comfortable in their own skin, more comfortable with the public facing aspects of the job. And it's interesting, like watching that plug into the NIL situation and, and players being more empowered to go out and, and speak their minds, you know, go do autographs, you know, get paid to appear on podcasts. I'm actually, I'm surprised you started with me. You could have easily just to like, you know, drop 20 bucks uh, for somebody. They probably would have come on, maybe not at 8 a.m. on a Sunday. But uh, <laughs> um, but, but I do think that you have to have coaches now who are uh, self-confident enough that when their players go out and talk, they're not threatened by it or they don't feel like that's uh, negatively imposing something on their program. I mean, there was that thing that happened yesterday where, uh, you know, Oklahoma comes back and wins over Texas in the Red River shootout. And Lincoln Riley won't let you know his young quarterback go talk to the media, and mm -hmm. um, you know that's a common thing where like oh freshmen aren't allowed to talk to the media, and it's like guys that era is past, like it really is. Like the the idea that we're not going to let freshmen talk, we're not going to let younger players talk, um, it's that that's a relic from like twenty years ago that I think is going to go away pretty quickly because it's just it's a different time, and so I'm excited about the fact that this coaching staff is comfortable talking to fans, is comfortable just saying what they want to say and being honest with their answers and seems to be confident and comfortable with players doing the same thing. I think that's going to end up equating to something positive down the road. Great, great. All right, well, we'll start to wrap it up with kind of final thought question that I had. So if you were able to have a conversation uh, with, with Doc back after that final game and you told him, uh, on March 11th, after that Rutgers loss, where we are right now, how would you react? Do you think you'd be floored? You'd be amazed? Um, would it? What? What? Would you blow your own mind? Um, well, I, okay. <laughs> Can you ask me this again in a couple of months? Because yeah. I, I keep coming back to this. Like, I think it, it. You know, with the benefit of hindsight, with the money not being an object it was the right time to make a move. I think that the off season has been very good, probably better than I thought it would have been if I had been late, if the scenario had been laid out before it happened. Um, I don't know that I'm at a point yet where I would be blown away just simply because not a lot has actually happened yet. A lot's happened on paper. Not a lot has happened outside of that. And I think but the one thing I've tried to do with IU basketball over the course of the last few years is remind myself that the results are what matter the on-court results are what matter. And so I am more excited about the future and the direction of IU basketball now than I was six months ago or eight months, I guess it would have been eight months ago, 
uh, and I'm I'm trying to hang on to that. I think that that's where I want to be. I don't want to get any more down the road uh, on that front because I've done that before and I've gotten disappointed. Um, and so I like all of the ingredients that are on the counter right now. But to you know to continue the food metaphor, I, I need to see a couple of dishes get made first. And, and once I get to that point, then maybe my mind will indeed be blown. But uh, I think it's about as good as you would have expected it to be at this particular point in time. And I'm satisfied with that for now. And, and we'll just have to check back in a couple of months and see where, where we're at with things. All right. Well, keeping your food metaphor going, I'm full of Kool-Aid. My bladder's going to explode. I'm, I'm all in. I think Bahamas is kind of what was the tipping point for me to be able to at least see something and everything uh, and be there in person for the excitement. I'm, I'm trying to, like I said at the beginning, uh, stem, keep that just excitement and optimism uh, in, in the same wheelhouse, not look at expectations, but just be excited. Needless to say, one way or the other, we're going to see a lot different IU uh, basketball on the court. We're going to see a very different team. We're going to see an exciting team. Um, who knows what kind of wins and losses that creates. There's plenty of things out there right now uh, forecasting things. You never know uh, what things are going to happen. But, uh, yeah, we'll just have to see when we get out there. So thanks, Galen, for coming on. Um, guys, that's going to do it for this edition of Hoosier Morning After. Please like and subscribe to the YouTube channel and follow me on Twitter at General Chadwick. There you can find out information about the show and even ask questions that we'll try to answer on the show. Special thanks again, Galen Clavio, for, for being on today. You can follow him at Twitter, uh, at, General, or at Dr. GC, and find all the wonderful Crimson casts that he does out there. Uh, special shout out to Bob Thompson for producing the music that you hear on the show. Who's Your Morning After will be back exactly one month from today with the first post-game show after Indiana takes on Eastern Michigan. Until then, guys, go out there and have a wonderful day. And as always, go Hoosiers.